Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. We'll be reading there in just a moment. The title of this morning's message is How to Shine Brightly in a Dark Place. How to Shine Brightly in a Dark Place. You've heard me use that phrase before. It began in our family years ago when we lived in a city, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and our oldest ones were going to high school. And I had the assignment of dropping them off each morning. And uh, as I did, and as Gail dropped them off, we began saying, shine brightly in a dark place. We would have our Bible time, we would have conversation about uh, their walk with God, but then we wanted to see them apply that in their walk at school, to shine brightly in a dark place. We Christians are to be like that. All of us are, not just students going to school, but every believer is to be like that. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But when you come to Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the light of the world. And so he applies this description of himself as light, and then he turns and applies it to you and to me. And I can't think of a better time than a back-to-school Sunday for us to think about what it means to shine brightly in a dark place, to be the light of the world. In this passage of Scripture, in 2 Corinthians 4 that we're about to read, Paul reveals five principles of carrying light in a spiritually darkened world. How can I drive back the darkness in my world? Principle number one, expect rejection. Expect rejection. In verse three, he writes, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. I was stunned, even as a young believer, the first few times I shared the gospel with someone, particularly with family members, I was surprised at their reaction. When we tell someone the good news, when we tell them that their past, their present, and their future sins are paid for if they will simply embrace this gift of salvation, if we tell them that in this life they will have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a warrior king who will give them victory, a bridegroom who truly loves them, and that when they die they will be ushered into heaven where they will live eternally with him, we wonder why wouldn't everyone become a believer? In my simple 17-year-old mind, that was the way I, I thought. And maybe you've experienced that as well. Well, Paul answered this question when he says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. That's his answer to that question. Now, Christians, we often struggle with witnessing to others because we fear ridicule and rejection. We don't need to fear it, but we should expect it. Even Paul expected rejection from spiritually blind people. Why? 
Well, first, spiritual blindness is the inability to recognize that Jesus Christ is God. The blindness that he speaks of in these two verses, verses 3 and 4, is saying that there's an influence over the mind of a person without Christ, so that no matter what you say to them, how much you explain to them, what facts you give them, it does not compute that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They are unable to recognize that. Secondly, spiritual blindness is a chronic condition in all unbelieving minds. Without Christ, a man or a woman is born constitutionally, spiritually blind. Something has to happen, a miracle, in order for them to see. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, Except a man be born again, he cannot see or comprehend or get the kingdom of God. He can't understand it. And so something has to happen to remove that spiritual blindness. And then thirdly, spiritual blindness is caused by a supernatural being who is opposed to God. The apostle refers to him as the God of this age. You have an enemy that's doing everything he can to keep your friend, to keep your family member from understanding the gospel and receiving Christ. You have an enemy. In John 8, 44, Jesus said that Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And he is determined to keep lost people lost and Christians absolutely ineffective in their witness. And so, how can I drive back the darkness in my world? I never should be surprised by rejection. But there's another principle. It's the principle of exalting Jesus. Exalt Jesus. In verse 5, he says, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, today, when I talk about preaching or proclamation, it has religious overtones. When we talk about preaching, we think of a church, we think of a pulpit, we think of those things. But in that day of time, if you'd use that word that's translated preach or proclaim, the evening news came to mind. Because in that day and time, that's how news was broadcast. When there was important information to be shared, a proclaimer was sent to a public place and he would announce to everyone the news that needed to be shared. It was more like a secular word when the word preaching is used. And that's what he's saying here. We're not announcing or proclaiming or in a news kind of way talking about ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, this is not a sales pitch. I need you to see that. It's not a sales pitch. It's simply an urgent sharing of information. And we do it all the time. Some of you did it as you walked in here today. You said, did you hear about such and such? Did you, did you hear the news this morning? Did you watch that particular channel? Did you know what happened to such and such sports figure yesterday? Do you know what's coming up this week? We talk about news. We talk about important information. And so it's not a sales pitch. It's a sharing of information. It's not news about me. It's not news about Wynn Baptist Church. It's not news about my beliefs. It's not news about my politics. It is only about Jesus Christ. 
John Calvin said, He that would preach Christ alone must of necessity forget himself. We are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. What are we to announce? In 2009, there was a commercial that went viral. It was extremely popular in Apple's promotion of their new iPhone. I want you to see this right now. What's great about the iPhone is that if you want to check snow conditions on the mountain, there's an app for that. If you want to check how many calories are in your lunch, there's an app for that. And if you want to check where exactly you parked the car, there's even an app for that. Yep, there's an app for just about anything, only on the iPhone. There's an app for that. Became so popular that the following year they had to trademark that statement. There's an app for that. Uh, just find it. You may need that car finder just to get back to your car from this auditorium. And uh, there's an app for that. Well, this helps us describe how we to are, are to announce Jesus Christ as Lord. We are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Is your life empty this morning? There's a Lord for that. Your marriage is breaking down? There's a Lord for that. You've lost your job and you don't know what will happen next. There's a Lord for that. You've got a bad report from a doctor. There's a Lord for that. And whatever your life situation and whatever your need, there is a Lord for that. Amen. The third principle, how can I drive back darkness in my world? Expect rejection, exalt Jesus. Then thirdly, embrace servanthood. Embrace servanthood. If we're going to shine brightly in a dark place, we need to be servants. Too often the church in North America, especially those churches that are large, are often concerned with what do lost people think about us and what will it take to attract them? What will it take to attract Christians to our church? How does the community see us? How do non-Christians respond to us? But ultimately it's not about our status. It's about our service that reaches people. It is not our status, it is our service that causes us to shine brightly in our world. There's a couple aspects to this service. One is a servant attitude, an attitude of servant. When I approach someone to share the gospel with them, do I approach them as someone who is superior? Or do I approach them with a servant mentality? Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve. And so I don't have a choice. I have to model his approach to people. There's an attitude to service. There are also actions and words associated with service. When we talk to people about Jesus, sometimes we go and we're focused on simply delivering a message or content, and well, we should, because it is the message that changes lives. But he says in verse 5, we preach ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. We preach Christ as Lord, but ourselves as slaves, as servants because of Jesus. And so I believe that one of the best ways we can share the gospel with people is to start with where they hurt. Start with their needs. Start with what's happening in their life. What are your needs and concerns? How can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? There's a Lord for that. But we approach them with a spirit of service. How can I drive back the darkness in my world? I can expect rejection. I should exalt Jesus. I should embrace servanthood. And then number four, experience truth. 
I need to experience the truth. Listen to verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts. Now imagine that. The God who simply spoke the word and light came into existence is the same God who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Now this is Paul's explanation of why he proclaims Christ as Lord and himself as a servant. Now you know what happened to Paul. In Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul that rode to Damascus encountered a risen Savior. He saw the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He, he knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God because he had encountered the glory of God. Now, we have not experienced that. Maybe some of you have. But most of us have not had that kind of experience. But he talks about it as if every Christian had had that experience. It may not have happened with my eyes, but it should have happened in my soul. That I came to a place where I understood Jesus Christ was the Son of God that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that I knew something of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And so when he saves a person, the first thing he does is he begins by enlightening their soul. When a person is without Christ, their spirit, that part of them that can commune and communicate with God, is cut off from God. It is in darkness. It is dead. And the first thing that has to happen for a person to receive Christ, to understand the gospel, is a miracle where God shines the light of truth in their soul. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't fake that. Now, you may fake it to me, and I may fake it to you. But in our hearts, we know whether or not we have encountered a risen Savior. Do I know Him? Do I and experience him in my daily life do i hear him does he speak to me through his word does he speak to me through sunday school lessons and sermons and such do i have a relationship with jesus christ i'm not saying this morning you should be a church member or you should be baptized or have any relationship with the church at all you should but I'm not talking about that at this moment. If I'm going to drive back the darkness in my world, I need to be a person who knows Christ, who's experienced Christ, and who continues to experience him every day. I can't exalt Jesus if I'm not experiencing Jesus in my life. So how can I drive back the darkness in my world? First, there's a principle of expecting rejection. I should never be surprised by that. People are spiritually blind. Unless God intervenes, they will remain spiritually blind. I need to exalt Jesus, not me, not my church. I need to lift him up. I need to embrace servanthood. I don't need to have a superior attitude. I need to come and be focused on that person's needs and their relationship to God and their need for Jesus. I need to experience truth. I need to be the real deal. I need to be a person who knows God and walks with God. And then finally, the fifth principle is this. I need to exhibit character. I need to exhibit character. Look at verse 7. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. 
We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. When you and I live a life that leans on Jesus, it becomes obvious to others. Persons living in darkness can see a radical difference in you. Now you can see all your faults and you can see everything that's not right in your life and others may see that too. But I got to tell you that when a person knows Jesus, with all your imperfections and all the parts of you that have not fully matured, those things where you still need to grow and those mistakes you still make, in spite of all of that, you are shining brighter than anything else they've ever seen before. And we take for granted the radical difference of our thinking, the radical difference of our heart that Christ has worked in us. And, and you and I need to be aggressive about growing in Christ. And we need to be aggressive about learning the truth. And we need to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ as much as it depends on us. But I want you to know that the grace of God is working the heart of every believer here today. And he is the one who causes the light to show up because he lives in you. Now, that being said, you need to see something in this passage of Scripture. Notice that the life of Christ in you is often revealed through the most difficult circumstances of your life. And you need to know that, brother and sister, because I know some of you have had some difficult circumstances. Some of you are experiencing them right now. And when that happens to you and me, Sometimes the temptation is to look at ourselves and say, what did I do wrong? Is God correcting me or disciplining me or even punishing me for something I've done? And it's very easy for you and I to fall back to that position. And, and there's no question that God grows us through trials, grows us through stresses, grows us through tribulations. But can I share something with you? What Paul's saying here is that when these things happen to you, and you're wrestling with it with Jesus, and you're growing through this experience, and you're learning lessons as you go through this experience. Can I tell you that it is that moment that the life of Christ shines most clearly through you? And it's not always about what God is teaching you. Sometimes it's about what God is showing someone else who can watch you walk through that difficulty. And God is using you as a witness, not sometimes through your verbal testimony, and that's vital, but he often uses your life experience and your capacity to walk through difficulty to shine brightly to others. Let me encourage you that when those tough times come, to trust Jesus completely and lean on him for help. Let people get close enough to you so that they can hear the music of Christ comforting you, they can hear the words that God is speaking to you, that are encouraging you. Let people close enough to hear and smell the presence of Christ in your life because your suffering may in part be for their benefit. I want to show you something before we, before we close. I brought a lighter with me. It's a butane lighter. This kind you would light your coals with. Speaking of which, we're going to have some great food this afternoon, so you don't want to miss it. But I want to light this for just a moment. I don't think I'm going to set off any alarms. Okay, there's a flame. Now, that flame from where you're sitting 
is probably not very impressive. It's about the size of a candle flame. And, and it's just not very impressive. And you may look at your life and think that your life is like this. It's just not very impressive as a flame. We're to be the light of the world, and you are the light of the world, Jesus said. And so you look at that flame and you say, well, I don't feel like much light. And you know, when you and I are gathered here in church and we're gathered with other believers, it's real easy to feel that way. But can I suggest to you that when you go into a dark place, when you're around a lot of people that don't know Christ, that that flame gets really bright. Some years ago, our family visited Mammoth Cave. And as tour guides and caves like to do, they get you to the deepest and darkest place of the cave, and then they turn out the lights. They tell you they're going to do it usually. And so when that happened to us, aside from a couple of my kids freaking out, it was one of those few moments of experience where I could hold my hand this far from my face and I could not see my hand. Nothing. And there must have been 50 or 60 people in that tour group standing there in total darkness, absolutely unable to see anything. There is no light in that room. Until he took a butane, butane lighter and he lit it. And in that huge expanse of a room, probably about the size of this auditorium, that flame lit up the room. Lit up the room. And when we congregate like here, we don't need more light. We got all the light we need. It's like going to the lamp outlet in our store where all the lamp fixtures are one place. You know, nobody complains about being too dim in a place like that. But when you go to a school this year, when you go to a classroom, when you go to your workplace where there are people that don't know Christ and you are walking with him and you are listening to him and you're talking about him, you are shining brightly in a dark place. And God's going to use you. And people are going to ask questions, good questions, about God, about life, about what it means to live forever, about eternity, life and death questions, how to deal with problems in their marriage. If you and I will simply be who we are in dark places. Now this morning, brother or sister, I just want to ask you and encourage you to make this a time of response to the Lord where you simply re-up and say, Lord, I want to do that. I want to shine brightly in a dark place. And so when we have a time of response here in just a moment and we stand and sing, I want to encourage you through your song or maybe you just need to bow your head when we stand there at the pew and just say, Lord Jesus, help me. May the life that you've given me, this new life in me, may it bleed out of everything I say and everything that I do and everywhere that I go. We tend to compartmentalize our life as Christians and we have a church behavior and we have a behavior at home and we have a behavior at work and we, we have these different ways that we act. Ask God to put an end to that. Ask God to make you the same person at church, at work, at home, wherever you are. You know that we don't mean to do that, but that's one of the reasons we get called hypocrites. It's because we act one way around believers, another way around unbelievers. 
So as God speaks to you, brother or sister in Christ, would you respond to him? Lord, I want to shine brightly in all the dark places where you send me. And then this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to respond to him today and his offer of salvation. We've talked about it in the course of this message, but you need to know that Jesus Christ loves you, loves you so much that he was sent by God the Father to die on the cross for your sins. So that everything offensive to a holy God, your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins could be washed away literally by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The only thing God looks for from you is not mental assent that the gospel is true, not just believing the facts of the gospel, but actually taking your life and entrusting your life to Jesus Christ. That's faith. Saying, Lord, here I am, all that I am, as best I know how, I'm giving myself to you and I'm putting my trust in you to save me and to change me. You can't do that for yourself. You can't wipe your sins away and you can't change who you are at the core of your being and you can't come to God without Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so this morning when we stand and sing, there'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle. And why I want to encourage you to slip out of the pew and to come and take one of those pastors by the hand and say, I want to be saved. If you still have questions, they will take the time. They would love to answer your questions. And, so, and, and they'll do that by taking Scripture that you can read for yourself from God's Word and see whether or not it's true. So as God has spoken to your heart, how will you respond? The altar is open for any person that has a burden for themselves or someone that they're praying for. This is a time that we worship by responding to God and what he is saying. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you for speaking to us. It is amazing to me that when you decided to save the world, that you chose to do it through people like us and that the believers sitting here are the hope for Wynn, Arkansas, that the believers sitting here are the hope for America that you chose us to be vessels of the life of Christ everywhere we go. And so, Lord, as we respond to you in these moments, we want to do so with a sense of awe and reverence and worship. And, Father, for that man or that woman or boy and girl that is now ready to put all their trust in Jesus Christ, may this be the moment and the day of their salvation. Holy Spirit, guide us as we respond to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without
song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay pray together. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the ways that you speak to us in times like this that um, are ways that are always to the point and straight to our own hearts. And we know that's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray for each person here today who has sensed your voice in their soul. And I pray they would have already given you a resounding yes to whatever it was that you were saying to them. Father, as we prepare to receive our offering this also is an act of our worship to you. Through our giving, Lord, we are acknowledging that all that we have belongs to you. But we also, are, it is a heart cry that we might be a part of your mission to carry the gospel to every human being on the planet. And so, Lord, would you take these gifts and use them not only to fund the ministries here and win, but also to support ministries across North America and around the world. And that is our desire, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 